a little over nine years ago, we started a new ministry here at Northside called Celebrate Recovery. It was tied, although not exclusively, with the hiring and the addition of Elaine Denman to our staff here at Northside. She started 10 years ago. Happy anniversary, Elaine. Nine years of a terrific ministry. When I mentioned that um, we should not suffer ministry fatigue, I meant to say one more thing. It's not mandatory that you work at every single ministry offered here at Northside. In fact, it's not possible. It's not even advisable. There are many, many reasons for you to find a favorite ministry, a ministry that calls to your heart, a ministry that matches with your gifts and your enthusiasm for the Father. In the last nine years, Celebrate Recovery uh, is one of the ways that that I spend most of my time uh, in leadership here at Northside. Um, I encourage you to find a favorite ministry and to dedicate yourself to the Lord's service here at Northside and in service to our God and Father. There are benefits to serving in a specific ministry. And one of those is the heightened insight that, that I find uh, with Scripture with my CR glasses. Now, I'm sure it works for Know Your Bible glasses and children's uh, education glasses and all sorts of glasses. We're not adding anything to the Word, but our ministry gives us a depth of insight. I have a couple of examples for you. The scripture that, uh, that I asked Brian to read uh, before worship this morning, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, perhaps you have not really considered that Jehovah God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He happened to use that verse at Tamar Perry's uh, funeral yesterday, and it was beautiful. It's also a foundation scripture for our ministry. Three or four years ago, from this pulpit on this, a day like this, I told you the story from Luke 7 about Simon and the sinful woman in his house. Simon, do you see this woman? Now speaks to me in a totally different way. It reminds me that Simon needed to be aware. I need to be aware of people with whom I have contact that I need to be more sensitive to them, I need to reach out to them. A couple of years ago, we talked about Acts 26, which is the third telling in Scripture, in the book of Acts, about the conversion of Saul. Why would the Spirit tell us the story three times? It's an important story. But in that third telling, we see the empathy of our Lord Jesus Christ when he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. When I read that verse these days, I'm reminded that I should have more empathy with people with whom I have contact. Today's lesson is out of Luke chapter 22, and we'll get there in just a couple of minutes. But the specific verse that we will, two of the specific verses that we'll talk about, Luke 22, 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, 
strengthen your brothers. We're going to talk this morning about a larger purpose for recovery. But first things first, uh, one of the things, an important thing we set out to do is each ministry Sunday is to make sure that you have a working knowledge of our given ministry. So we'll do that now with Celebrate Recovery. We are a Christ-based 12-step recovery. Now, there's a couple of tricky words in that definition, 12-step. We'll talk about that here in a second. But we are a Christ-centered recovery ministry, superior to secular 12-step programs in at least three ways. Number one, we celebrate, we honor, we name Jehovah God as our higher power. It is His grace and His power in our lives. We do not celebrate our own effort to uh, affect recovery in ourselves. Number two, we take the broadest possible definition of the word recovery. When you hear 12-step, you may, you may quickly move to addiction, and certainly we work with folks who have addictions. But that is not the majority of our ministry by any means. In fact, it's been estimated that perhaps a third of the folks that we work with have specific addiction difficulties. We call them hurts, habits, and hang-ups, And if I ask for a show of hands, and I won't do that, we all have those. We all have those. In that sense, we all need recovery. And finally, the reason that Celebrate Recovery, in our humble opinion, is better than other 12-step recoveries, we don't celebrate the problem. We celebrate the recovery. My identity is not in who I used to be. My recovery, my identity, my purpose is in Christ. He tells me who I am. He tells me how much he loves me. Each Thursday, we have a very similar format because people that, uh, people that come to us that do not have a church background, they don't like a lot of surprises. Most of us don't like surprises. So we don't have any surprises on Thursday nights. We gather for the first 45 minutes in a devotional time. Uh, this is entirely Christ-based, Bible-based. We, uh, one week we have a uh, Bible-based lesson, uh, and many of the men in this congregation uh, bless us with their time and effort when they give those devotionals. Every other week we have a, a homegrown testimony of how God's power in someone's life has blessed them in recovery. It is a powerful thing to give your testimony. It is a powerful thing every week to listen to someone's life story in about 20 minutes and how God has blessed them in recovery, how he has worked with them, their effort, his grace, to bring them to a better place. You'll hear things like this, or you'll think of it themselves, yourself. Wow, God has been a blessing to that person. I don't know how they got through that without God's power. I didn't have any idea the struggle in her life or his life. They look like they had it all together. And they do today because 
of God's power. In these testimonies, God is glorified. Then we go to small group, and that scares some of you. It scared some of us when we went to small group. This is a safe, confidential ministry. We we meet as men or women. We have a separate program, a separate ministry for the teens. There's five or six of us in a room, and each of us share. It's good to share. Maybe I had a great week, and I want to share that with you. I want to celebrate that with you. Maybe you had a terrible week, and you need some sympathetic ears. It's good to listen to folks as they tell about their story that week. We don't fix anybody. Fixing is God's business. We offer a structure and certain rules of the game in our small groups. It's good to listen. It's good to be there for someone. It's good to realize that I'm not the only one struggling. It's good to be reminded that God is still in control, no matter what kind of lousy week I may have had. So every year we give an update on how we're doing as a ministry. And I told myself that I would have a 20, 25, 30 minute sermon without ever naming that pandemic which shall not be named in public. In many respects, it's been a challenging year. In many respects, we're blessed beyond measure. God is good all the time. There's an old cliche, and I seldom resort to it, but for the shape we're in, we're in pretty good shape. Maybe you've heard that. There's another way to look at how we're doing. Toby mentioned it last week, and I thumped him for, uh, for stealing my uh, thunder a little bit. Uh, our ministry needs some new blood. Our ministry would be blessed if we had some folks who would give us a chance to, to invite them into our ministry. This is, not a, uh, this is not indentured servanthood. If you'd give us three to six months, um, I would invite you to see how God could bless you on Thursday nights. We are fully committed, but there are some signs of fatigue uh, among our number. So some of you are frightened today that I might tell some stories about my camping uh, escapades, and certainly I'm going to introduce a word that some of you don't know anything about. It's a French word of uh, portage in the French, but uh, we call it portage. So these are three lessons, three ministry lessons from the portage trails of northern Minnesota. A portage simply is a path. It's the means by which you, you take a journey from, uh, from the end of one lake to the beginning of another lake. It's the only way to get across. Now, the single biggest question most of you have is, why would you do that? Work the analogy with me. That's the only way we get across the trail. What we want is on the other side of the trail. If we don't walk the path, we don't make it to the other side. When you come up on an unknown portage, a portage that you've never seen before, you have an idea of how long it might be. You've got a map with you. The map might say it's 60 rods or 80 rods. 
in ministry 60 years or 80 years. But we don't know how steep the climb or how muddy or how rocky or how difficult the portage might be. But we know that what we want is on the other side of the trail. There, is, there are a number of rookie mistakes, which is why I like to take new guys to the woods, because it's fun to watch people make those mistakes. On the portage trail, the single biggest mistake that people make is that they focus solely on the end of the trail. And they put a lot of stress on themselves. And they say, if I, if I don't see the lake at the top of this hill, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. Don't restrict yourself in your ministry. Don't, don't limit yourself. Don't sabotage your journey. We'll get to the end of the trail with God's strength, with God's power. In fact, it's not about our strength at all. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 11. Verse 11. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory forever and ever. Don't give any thought to how tired you are. Don't give any thought to the fact that there's too much in your pack. Just keep walking. Renew your strength in God. At the risk of a pun, because one of our ministry leaders at CR is dedicated to the art of the pun, there's another bit of common ground between the Portage Trail. Think about it. It'll come to you here in a second. And your favorite ministry. Every ministry, every portage trail is better when it's shared with someone that you love. None of us walk alone. It's better if we walk with other folks. With that in mind, there are two specific folks here at Northside this morning that I'd like to speak to. Perhaps you know about CR. You've attended, you've participated, maybe you've even graduated a step study. It's been a while since we saw you on Thursdays. That's okay. Life, life gets busy. We understand that. Perhaps one of the lessons of COVID is that your schedule isn't quite as busy as it used to be. We'd like to have you back. I think the Lord would like to have you back if you could be a blessing to other folks on Thursday night. The other audience, the other person I'd like to speak to is maybe you don't know anything about CR. Maybe I'm not saying celebrate recovery enough. That's what I mean by CR. If you're curious about our ministry, find someone with a name tag like I'm wearing this morning. We would love to tell you more about celebrate recovery. Enough about our ministry. Let's get to, to our lesson this morning. Peter is my favorite apostle uh, with my CR glasses on this morning. Peter really needed recovery, more so perhaps than any New Testament hero. Think of your own, oh, Peter moment. He was the first to speak. He was often the first to act. He was also often the first to fail. Let's take a look at these three examples in uh, the book of Matthew. Matthew 14, we know the stories, so I won't uh, spend too much time on them, but, but think about 
the high that Peter uh, presents to us, and then the low that he displays to us, and how quickly in Scripture, sometimes it's in the same verse, it's a couple of verses apart, and we think, how could a man stand that trauma? It must have been something to walk in Peter's sandals. He really needed recovery. Matthew 14, there's a storm on the, on the uh, Sea of Galilee. The 12 apostles are in a boat. Jesus is going to walk across the lake and meet them on the other side, and everybody sees him. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. You remember what Jesus said? Peter, who else would it be? He didn't say that. Of course it's me. Step out. How many apostles joined Peter on that, uh, on that short walk? Just one. How long did he last on top of the water? That's unclear. We do know that when he lost sight of Jesus, he started to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Christ looked at him and said, O ye of little faith, so high, so low, in perhaps just a couple of steps on the water. Matthew chapter 16, a critical time in the ministry of Jesus. It's time to start getting serious with his 12 apostles. He says, what do, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. You didn't get this from man. You got this from the Father. Blessed are you. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Blessed are you, Simon. Get behind me, Satan. The highs and lows of Peter's daily walk. Matthew 17, Peter takes James, John, uh, Peter, James, and John up on the mountain, and, and it's always struck me as a bit curious as to why, why he did this. What was the purpose for the transfiguration? I have a working theory now, after, after a little more time in the Word. Who joined Jesus on the mountain? A couple of Old Testament Hall of Famers, right? Moses and Elijah. Could have been Abraham, could have been David. I I don't know. Uh, Jesus needed to talk with Moses and Elijah briefly. Peter, not knowing what he was going to say, that's in one of the Gospels. But he had to say something. Lord, it's good for us to be here. I'm going to build three shelters. And as Peter begins to speak, God joins the conversation. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son, Peter. Listen to him. Our lesson today is in Luke 22. We're going to take a look at four verses out of the 62 or three verses. So you'll be glad to know that we're not going to study all 64 of them in depth. 
the first 30 verses, uh, this, this is a long chapter, and it's, and it's significant. It has a number of substantial things. This is a, an important time in Luke's gospel, and we know the stories. Verses 1 to 6, Judas agrees to betray Jesus. There's a plan to betray Jesus. We, we get Luke's uh, version of the Lord's Supper. Christ warns the apostles about Judas, and then a very curious thing happens in the upper room. Do you remember this? Immediately or shortly after the Lord's Supper, this is where Jesus washed their feet. You remember what the 12 of them got to talking about? Who's going to be the greatest? Talk about folks that need recovery. Verse 31 and verse 32, after Jesus talked them back from the question of who's the greatest, this is the, these are the verses that I read before. Christ Jesus said to Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have all of you to sift you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. Does Jesus know what's going to happen? Sure he does. Does Peter know what's going to happen? Certainly not. In fact, Peter is going to reject uh, Jesus' prophecy here, and then he's going to specifically say, I'm not going to deny you, not once. I've pleaded in prayer for your faith that you should not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, Strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. Underline that verse in your Bible if, if you underline in God's Word. I would encourage that, by the way. No other gospel mentions these two verses. This is a, this is a, a Luke special, if you will. Jesus said you're going to fail. He anticipated Paul, Peter getting up. When you repent and turn to me again, strengthen and build up the faith in your brothers. The rest of Luke 22, also significant. Remember the two swords? Remember who took one of the swords and actually engaged in a short battle with with the crowd? Peter. Verses 39 to 46 I'm sorry, the, the, uh, the sword fight took place after the prayers. But in Luke, 30, uh, Luke 22, 39 to 46, Jesus prays in the garden. The crowd comes, the mob comes up from uh, Jerusalem. Jesus says, this is your moment in the middle of the night. In verses 54 to 60, we find Peter's depth of betrayal. Three times in perhaps an hour. We're not given the specific time frame. But after the third denial, again, this is only mentioned once in Scripture, verses 61 and 62. At that moment, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Have you ever imagined what that looked like? I don't know if, if they were very close or if it was a distance. I don't know if there was a miracle of some sort. 
Jesus looked at Peter. Peter saw the look of his rabbi. Peter remembered what he had said before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny me three times. Peter walked out of the courtyard crying bitterly. Make sure that you understand. This is, the, this is the key point of the lesson. This is the key point in our Celebrate Recovery ministry. Make sure you don't stop reading about Peter's life here. This is rock bottom for Peter. And we meet people at rock bottom. If there's no mechanism to climb up from rock bottom, what else would you do? Judas went out and hung himself. Peter left the courtyard in tears. If we allow this to be the end of the story of Peter's life, we will miss out on one of the greatest single personal recoveries in the history of mankind. How many times have you denied Christ this week? A time or two, possibly. Regrettably. Have you denied Christ publicly, by an oath, in person, three times in an hour? I hope not. That was the depth of Peter's rock-bottom episode in his life. And yet, in recovery, he would come back to preach the first gospel sermon. He would have the first contact with Cornelius, the first Gentile to be converted, he would go on to write two epistles that, this, that the Spirit brings to our New Testament today. This is why we have Celebrate Recovery. It is never too late to recover. If you're alive, you can recover. If you turn to Christ in your despair, you can recover. That's why we come to the building every Thursday night. Three lessons from Celebrate Recovery that I hope will bless you this morning. Number one, relapse is inevitable, so repentance will be necessary. I used to have a foolish notion that as I got older, things would be easier. Some of you are chuckling like you just thought that the other day. Surely, after being a teenager, things would be easier. Certainly, after the challenges of uh, new married and new kids and new job and everything else, sometime after 20s and 30s and into my 40s, it would be easier. Certainly, by 60, things would be easier. It would be smoother. Is your walk smooth today? It's not supposed to be. It's not going to be. We live in a broken world. We live in the center of a supernatural warfare between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And sometimes we wonder why we have a bad day. Or we have a bad week. John 16.33, to the apostles, Jesus said, I've told you what's going to happen, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome 
the world. Peter would describe it this way in 1 Peter chapter 5, be alert, be sober, your enemy prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Peter told his audience, he tells us, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, resist him. Resistance is rocky. Resistance, uh, someday we'll do it well, someday we won't do it quite as well. As we consider our lives, as we consider our attempts to live a godly life, it's not whether or not we're going to fail, it's how often we're going to fail. How seriously we will fail, how deep we will fall, and whether or not we will reach out to our God and Savior, to our Lord and Savior, to help us stand back up. There are two types of relapse. Let me take just a sidebar here and and get into Celebrate Recovery a little bit. I didn't say two types of sin. There is no big sin, little sin. But there are two types of relapse. The first type of relapse is a surprise. We didn't see it coming. It's a mistake we've probably made in the past, but we tripped up. We didn't anticipate it. We're surprised. We don't stay down very long. We confess, repent, we climb back up, we share it with someone who is holding us accountable. That is one type of relapse. The other relapse is not so much a surprise. It could have been anticipated. In fact, sometimes we plan it. Sometimes we jump off the wagon and we wallow a bit in our sin. Repentance is more difficult in that situation because we have put ourselves in that spot. We see both kinds of relapse in our work on Thursday nights. We refer to repeated sin as a habit. To overcome this habit, we work through the steps of recovery because we have demonstrated through the years that we are incapable of of solving our own problems. God is the power of my recovery. Not my my power, not my determination, nothing in me will advance my recovery. One of the first lessons, the first lesson, that celebrate recovery, we call it denial. I am not God. I'm a mess. The only way that I can become less of a mess is to acknowledge that God is the power in my life for recovery. Relapse is inevitable. Repentance will be necessary. Lesson number two. Relapse should cause us to weep bitterly. I'm going to ask a personal question. I'm not asking for any sort of response or participation. But when you make a mistake, when you sin, what's your response? Do we ever cry bitterly when we discover our sin? Peter denied Christ once, 
twice, three times. He knew he did it, but he had not yet processed it. He had not yet dealt with it until the Lord and Savior looked at him across the way and Peter remembered that Jesus called the shot. And Peter cried bitterly. If my response to my sin is, I'm only human, that's not the right response. Humbly, respectfully. If that's your response to your sin, we need to talk. You need to, you need to pray for forgiveness for that response to the mistakes in your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 8 through 13 here in a second. Paul had worked with the church at Corinth for quite a while. We think that he wrote probably four letters. We have two of them. Paul worked hard with these people. They had a host of problems, a host of hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And in one of the letters that we don't have, Peter knows, Peter, Paul knows that he had, that he said some harsh things. Paul had heard some things about the Corinthians and he wasn't pleased with the mistakes that they had made and he gets after them pretty good. And in the book that we call 2 Corinthians, he says this in verses 8 through 13, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, yet now I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Make a note of 2 Corinthians 7, verses, verse 10. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Paul was apologizing, but not really for the hurtful words that he had used. He needed to get their attention, and he did so, causing them temporary pain and sorrow. But in that sorrow, in that godly sorrow, they turned around. Going back to Luke chapter 22, I believe that's the only reference that we have to the eye contact between Christ and Peter. Can you imagine that nonverbal transaction? Maybe Peter didn't mention it to Matthew or Mark. Maybe John knew about it, but he decided to, he, he might have decided to leave that as a personal thing for Peter to deal with. God's Spirit wanted us to know about that transaction. God's Spirit wanted us to know that Peter knew that Jesus knew of his denials. What did Peter do with his sorrow? What did he do with his bitter tears? He ran off for a couple of days, but then he rejoined the apostles. He kept looking for Jesus, ran out to the tomb. In that 40-day period, there was a lot of uncertainty. They didn't know what was going to be expected of them. The fishermen went back to the boat because that's what they knew how to do. They weren't sure of God's plans for them, but they stayed together. 
That leads us to our last point today and our last person, last uh, point of our lesson this morning. Peter's recovery isn't really about Peter. My recovery is not really about me. Your recovery is not really about you. Does Jesus want you to recover? Certainly. Did Jesus know that Peter was going to repent and come back? He did. But the overarching purpose for recovery is what we're going to do after we enjoy the blessings of recovery. What are we going to do with our improved standing, with our increased health in the grace and love of God? Jesus wants me to recover. He wants you to recover. The most important part of any recovery is the role that we will play in advancing the mission of our Lord in this world. Every week at Celebrate Recovery, we set out to do two things. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, Matthew 5 verse 16. Whether there's 10 of us or 30 of us, every week we set out to do these two things. We encourage each other and we build each other up. We let our light shine so that men can glorify God. That's the Celebrate Recovery story. In the bulletin article that I wrote last week, I made a distinction between salvation and healing. If you have any questions about that, come see me. Salvation is in God, is in our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no ministry on earth that can bring you salvation without the blood of Christ. If you don't enjoy salvation this morning, we would love to talk with you about that because that's the first and most important thing. But you can be saved and still be miserable You can be saved and mistaken because you're fighting it by yourself. James 5.16, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. If you have a need for this congregation this morning, if we can help you in any way, our elders will be at the back of the room. Let's stand together and sing.